Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans. And at least for the time being, this is the last time we're going to say that, at least until the next time we walk through Romans. Uh, but it has been a couple years now that we have been working our way through this amazing letter, and God in his grace has uh, sustained us. I, I hope that there are some of you who have been here for a while that can remember <laughs> some of the things that we've said as we've walked our way through. I pray that it's been a blessing for you. I know for myself personally, I am so greatly blessed uh, to have sat under uh, this great letter over the last several uh, last couple of years and I hope that you can say the same that there are things that you knew of God that you know a little bit more clearly now there are things that you thought about the gospel that have been uh, solidified maybe some things you did not know uh, of the gospel that that has become much clearer for you now for those of you who have joined us uh, midstream uh, you've come somewhere in the midst of our time in Romans uh, I, I pray that this has been a blessing for you as well uh, not just as we uh, think through uh, this this majestic letter uh, but as we have sought to live it out as brothers and sisters in community as well so I I pray that this has been a great time um, we, we are actually going to uh, get to other books of the Bible. <laughs> there, there are 65 others uh, that, that we would love to get into. And so hold on tight as we, uh, as, as we wrap up Romans and we get into uh, some of what God has said and other parts of the Bible. I just pray that you are continually blessed to hear what our God has, has spoken and what he continues to speak to us uh, through the pages of his scripture. Amen. Amen. Good to hear the two of you. All right. Uh, if you're there, say I'm there. All right. Romans 16, beginning at verse 17. Romans 16, beginning at verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Literally, they serve their own bellies. Uh, and, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. And then he gives this in verse 25. 
Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's how the letter of Romans ends. Let's pray that God would give us wisdom and insight to understand and to heed this great, great message. Let's pray. So Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. That you would make the words on this page come alive to us. That we would hear your very voice through the mouthpiece of your servant. Hey, Father, that as we hear, your spirit would move through your word to cultivate in us exactly what your word commands of us. That we may bring forth much fruit in us as we, as we humbly submit our lives to you. Lord, we realize that there are some who are here that don't know Jesus. Perhaps some who have sat among us for a while, maybe some uh, who are here for the first time. Maybe there's some who have heard the gospel many, many times, uh, living in the South or living, just living in, in the States. They, they know of Christ. They, they hear it uh, in the stores even during this Christmas season. And maybe there's some that are hearing this for the first time. But Father, I pray that as we leave from here, we would not go out as we came in. That, Father, I pray we would leave from here with our knee bent to Jesus, saying to you and to you alone be all the glory. You are Lord. You are the risen Christ. We trust in you. Save people among us, Lord. Save from sin. Save from suffering. Lord, save us and conform us into the image of Christ. Thank you, Father, for your word. Do mighty things among us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, and yeah, I know I realize that there are people that say that because of Christmas, uh, that it's the most wonderful time of the year. But it's also the most wonderful time of the year uh, in the classroom. Um, most of y'all know that I'm professor, uh, I'm a professor over at Southeastern Seminary, and, and as I go there, semester in, semester out, it's the same thing that happens. Folks come in, and they're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they're ready to roll, you know, oh my goodness, feed me, teach me, prof, and, and somewhere in the midst of the semester, you, you get into the lulls, right, you kind of get into the doldrums of, oh my goodness, this was more than I ever expected it to be, I don't know how I'm going to finish out this semester. All of these things happen. But then you get to this point, the end of the semester, when final exams have been done and, and, and folks are getting their final grades and, and so on. And it's also the time where my inbox explodes. And it explodes because I always, every semester, have that student the one who emails and says, uh, excuse me, prof, um, 
<laughs> I, I, I know that it's the end of the semester, and, and, and I know that I haven't submitted anything all semester, um, but, but, but I was just wondering, is it possible to get an extension? I mean, yeah, I know I had all semester, all four months of the semester to work with, but, but you see, you know, things happened and, you know, uh, yada, 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 I, I'm, I, I'm late on like everything. So could you please extend a little bit of grace? It is Christmas. Could you extend a little bit of grace to help me out? Because I really, really want to get a passing grade on this. And this is the moment where I have to look myself in the mirror and ask, what kind of prof am I? Um, am I going to be the one to say off with your head, uh, which is exactly what that person deserves, or am I supposed to be the one to go, all right, you know, here's a little extension, here's, here's a little bit of grace, you know, the Lord loves you, um, and apparently I'm supposed to too. So here you go, and, uh, and, and, and so what am I supposed to do at this, in this moment? What am I supposed to do? It's, it's the most wonderful time of year because you have all these students who all of a sudden love you, and, and, they, and they think that you're the greatest, you know, prof in the history of the world, and they schmooze the daylights out of me, and it's, it's wonderful. But, but at the same time, there's a part of it that's frustrating, as you could imagine. It's frustrating because that's not what this semester and it's not what this class was intended to do. You see, as a professor, there is um, there there is a, a bit of formation that I want to happen in the classroom. I, I, I realize that students are coming in a certain kind of person, and and my hope is that as we walk through the semester, they leave out a different kind of person, one who who appreciates the subject matter that we're talking about in the class. One that has, that has skills that could benefit the rest of their lives and even their ministries. I, I want to help form them and help shape them to be a certain kind of person. What they're doing by their practices and so on is, is they're living in such a way as to say what happens in this classroom stays in this classroom. <laughs> so that once the class is over, because I have not exerted any energy and I have not done anything uh, in this class, as soon as the semester is over, I walk out and everything that I was supposed to learn does not go with me. You, you see what's going on? Because I did not do much, uh, once I'm done with this class, I, I'm probably very likely to forget everything. Now, of course, I love the student that is there taking copious notes, right? Just, just every single word I say, they're, they're writing out and everything, and, and they're typing it all up, and they're compiling it, and so on. Why? Because when the semester is over and they go off, and I'm probably not going to see them again, I may not have them in another class or anything like that, but what I've taught in that class stays with them as they go. I still have uh, uh, several of my class notes from college, uh, from my time in seminary, and so on, and I go back to them all the time. And even uh, for those that are still around, some of them are with the Lord, I've had the privilege of, of emailing uh, profs, and we've become really good friends over the years as we continue to keep the conversation going. Why do I say all of that? Well, because we're at the end of Romans, and as we've been working our way through Romans, we have been taking some notes, haven't we, of what the Lord has been teaching us 
what the Lord has shown us here in this letter. We've learned about the content of the gospel, and we've learned about gospel culture, the culture that the gospel cultivates. And it's easy for us, as we've come to the end of the letter, to walk out of here, and all that we've learned in this letter stays in this letter. We've talked a bit about gospel culture. We've talked a bit about what it looks like to walk in accordance with the gospel, to follow Jesus, to, to be people who love one another, be people who are faithful outside of these doors and uh, in the public square, uh, who are responding well to the government, who are, who are not bickering back and forth over, over little tiny minute issues and things like that, but we maximize the love of Jesus, who, who are living in diversity diversity, who are living in humility, and so on. We, we have learned so much, and it's so easy for us to, as soon as we get to the end of this letter, to just kind of shut our Bibles and say, whew, man, that was a really good time of talking about gospel culture. Now what else are we going to talk about? And everything kind of goes in one ear and goes out the other. Paul does not want that for the Romans, and the Lord does not want that for us. But rather, he wants this gospel culture to be sustained long after we're done with the letter to the Romans. But that we continue to, to think about this, continue to meditate on this, continue to talk about it, continue to cultivate it. The question is, how do we do it? How do we keep the, this gospel culture going? How do we keep, so, uh, keep it going so that it doesn't just become another fad, another thing that Christians did, and it just kind of goes the way of all the other fads, you know, that we've, that we've lived through. But rather, this digs deeply into our hearts and into our minds. It becomes, if you will, the, the breath in our lungs. This, this is the air we breathe. This is, in fact, uh, our, our, our reality, if you will. This is how we view life, and this is how we live life. Well, Paul is concerned, as I said before, with the Romans, that, that they may wind up not being this gospel culture themselves. And so he, he gives them some instructions here, right at the end of the letter to the Romans, to help them keep gospel culture going. Keep gospel culture going. Going And I believe that, all, uh, that, that what we have here is kind of I'm grouping it in, into three sections here. I think it naturally breaks down that way. I, I think that this gives us, if you will, three instructions for how we are to keep gospel culture going among us. Amen? Y'all good? All right, let's roll. So let's see what he means here. Let's look first. The first things, if we're going to keep gospel culture going, we've got to keep out those who gut gospel culture. We've got to keep out those who gut gospel culture. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, and listen to the commands. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. You see that there? If you're an underliner, it's good to underline that. Keep out. Uh, uh, he says, I, I, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out. Okay? And then look at the end of verse 17. He has another command. Avoid them. Watch out and avoid certain people. Now, I know you, you, you hear that and you go, but, but we're a church. We're supposed to be kind and welcoming. 
We had a sign when I was pastoring in Baltimore. We had a sign in front of our church. It was right on the, on the, on the corner of our block. And, and, and it said in big letters, the friendly church. <laughs> the friendly church. And I used to say, perhaps a bit tongue in cheek, um, if we have to tell people we're the friendly church, we're, we're probably not the friendly church, right? <laughs> you don't have to tell people we're friendly. They should probably pick that up, you know. Uh, but, but we had this, this sign that said, we're the friendly church. Isn't that how we're supposed to be as churches? We're not supposed to, you know, have bolts on our doors or, or anything like that. Watch out for people. Avoid people. What, what are you talking about? Well, we're talking about gospel culture. You do realize that there are people who come into our gatherings who attempt to, to, to get involved and get infiltrated into all of our aspects of, 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 of church life who do not have the intent purpose of sustaining and cultivating a healthy gospel culture among us, but rather they are here to burn it down. It's It's fact. I've been in ministry since I was a teenager, working among teens, working in uh, local churches, working in parachurch ministry, college ministry, senior pastoring, teaching at a seminary, and all of this. I have seen it absolutely everywhere I've gone. Everywhere the Lord has taken me, there has been someone who has been intent on destroying gospel culture. And Paul says, I want you to keep them away from here. Keep them out. Don't let them in. Well, if that's the case, then we need to know what they're about. Well, look what he says here. He, he, he mentions here that they are those who are, who are deceptive in their words. Look at verse 18. He says, such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Look at how he describes them in verse 17. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Okay, so we're, so we're gathering some information on them. They're, they're deceptive, and, and they've, got, they've got a motive. There's a method to the madness, okay? They're, they're using deception at 2, verse 17, to uh, cause division and to create obstacles contrary to the, doc, uh, to the doctrines that we've been taught. Uh, note the, the language there. They cause divisions, these are people who, who don't like the unity of the body. And they realize that they can, uh, that when we're, when we're united, when we're together around the gospel, when we are all on the same page with the gospel, it's really hard for them to accomplish their purposes. What are their purposes? As he says there in verse 18, it's not to serve the Lord Christ, it's to serve their own appetites. Back in those days, you had people who were, uh, Paul would, um, would use the language of Judaizers. They were people who were going around into the churches trying to convert people into Judaism. 
So, so instead of following Jesus, if, if you will, instead of looking at the New Testament and, and following the New Testament and the teaching of the apostles, they wanted to go back to taking the Old Testament and reading the Old Testament as if there were no New Testament, even though the Old Testament was meant to testify to the reality of what we see in the New Testament. They were to look at, they were saying, no, we don't want any of that. You just follow the rabbis, follow the traditions of our elders and so on, and just stay right here living under the thumb of the Old Testament law. Those were the Judaizers. Well, we can call these people here appetizers. <laughs> they're appetizers. What, what do we mean by that? Well, they're here trying to convert people to their own appetites, right? They're, they're, they're saying, hey, don't follow Jesus. Follow your belly. <laughs> or, or like uh, Toucan Sam, follow your nose, right? Just wherever your, your appetites take you, wherever your desires, wherever your lusts, wherever your creature comforts take you, that's where you're supposed to go with your life. And because we are supposed to be people who are following the Lord Jesus and serving him alone, they realize the only way that they can get their lives and their life goals and so on accomplished is if they divide and conquer. That's what they do. So they divide us up. They split us up. They cause rifts and, 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 and uh, wedges and so on into the body to keep us from going in the same direction. They divide. Notice also they create obstacles. The word there for obstacle is the word scandala. Guess what word we get from that? Scandal. Yeah, they, they're scandalous. What do they do? They create controversies. They create distractions. They, they create uh, 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 things that will, that will take us off of the path of, of what we have been taught. Now, now let, me, let me clarify something. When he says they're the doctrines that you have been taught, he's not just talking about the theology that you've been taught. Okay? The apostles taught more than just simply theology. They told us about God. They told us about our Lord Jesus. They told us about the Holy Spirit. They told us about the, the, the nature and the constitution of the church and so on. They tell us about the end times. All of those things are true. They tell us about salvation, justification, adoption, sanctification, redemption, glorification. They teach us all of those things, but that's not all the apostles taught. They also taught our lifestyle. They taught both what to believe and they taught how to behave. That's also looped in by Paul into what we call the doctrine, our faith. You get what I'm saying here? So here are people who are saying, well, we don't want to believe that and we don't want to live that. And so we're going to try to cause distractions and veer off the path and all of these different things. We've experienced that over the last couple of years, haven't we? If you've had this moment, you've ever heard the term uh, uh, gaslighting? How many of y'all have heard that term, gaslighting? You know, what, is, what is that? Well, it's when you're going, this is what my eyes see, and this is what my ears hear, and this is what I'm clearly thinking is going on here, and, and, and somebody comes over to say, what you see is not what you see, what you hear is not what you hear, what you perceive is not what you perceive. Now, there are times when that is true, right? There are times where you misjudge something or misunderstand something. But gaslighting is when what is true, now I'm trying to be convinced, they're trying to convince me that what is true isn't true. You see what's going on? And we've had that experience over the last several years in our world, in our, in our culture. 
where, where you say, okay, uh, just some uh, simple kind of low-hanging fruit, uh, a male is a male and not anything but a male. And, and, and now we have folks that are going, uh, no, that's, that's what they may have been biologically, but that's not how they identify. And because they don't identify that way, then it is wrong, in fact, oppressive for us to call them anything but what they identify as and so on. Well, you're going, but that's not real. That's not true. That's not, that's not the way, and, and you, real, you feel that, right? It's this, this obstacle that's in the way where you're going, but that's not what the Lord taught us to do. That's not how the Lord taught us to live. That's not what the Lord taught us to say. Or even in, when we have people where you say, well, the Lord told us that we're supposed to love our enemies. And yet I hear in podcasts or I hear on cable TV or so on that I'm supposed to love enemies, right? I am supposed to loathe them. I am supposed to, to see them as the worst possible scum on earth, Right? And so I'm listening and I'm going, well, there's this dissonance. As I'm trying to follow Jesus, I'm also hearing somebody screaming in my face, telling me that I'm not supposed to follow Jesus at all. They're causing divisions and causing obstacles that get in the way of the doctrines that we were taught by the scriptures. Not just what to believe, but also how to live. And Paul says, keep that mess out of here. Are you all hearing me? Keep it out. It does not belong in here. We do not follow them. This is deceptive. As he says here, the goal is not to get you to become a better Christian. The goal is to get you to serve them and to serve their appetites and to serve their desires and to serve their self-interests and so on. And that is can happen right here. I heard of a church up in up a little bit north of here in the D.C. area that is right now going through their second lawsuit. Their second lawsuit. The first lawsuit was over the uh, the and both of these, by the way, were things that were that were happened in members meetings. All right, so they had their family gatherings and so on. And while they were there in the family gatherings, uh, this first lawsuit, which was about a year and a half ago, it uh, revolved around the selection of elders. They looked at these elders and they said, well, we don't like these elders. Their language, these elders are woke. And because these elders are woke and, and liberal and going against the gospel and all of these different things, we're going to take them to court and we are suing the church for, for selecting these guys as pastors. And, and, and of course, you hear that and you go, okay, that escalated. Um, why, are, why are you going to court for that? Uh, what, what, what's the purpose of doing all of that? Well, it's a church conflict, and we don't like the elders that you selected, and so therefore we're suing you. You know, you could just go to another church. Um, or even better, repent. <laughs> you know, or something. Why, why are you doing that? And they, no, we're right. And, and well, that's what's happening. Well, this most recent lawsuit, the second lawsuit, is over uh, their, their denominational affiliation because they decided that, uh, that they were going to support uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Now, some of you may say, well, that's a legitimate lawsuit. Uh, why in the world are you support? But that's a different conversation. Uh, but, but you look, and they say, you know, well, well, we don't like that you are uh, going with this denomination or so on, and so therefore, we're, we're going to sue you. Now, you hear that, and you say, what in the world is going on? Is this about the witness of the church? Is this about the gospel? Is this about preserving our beliefs and our behavior? Or is this self-serving? Is this because I don't like the leaders, and so therefore I'm going to cause divisions? I don't like the denominational affiliations of this church, and so therefore I'm going to cause division. Do you see what happens? That's kind of an extreme example, but we could even have stuff like that here. You don't like you know, uh, uh, the, the beliefs that we have. You don't like our, our practices, say, in, in our church covenant or, 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 or something like that. You say, well, well I don't like that. And, and therefore, because I don't like that, I, I'm going to do what I can to cause division or I'm going to do what I can to kind of rally some folks around me so that we can go in this direction and see if we can turn the ship over in this way as well. Well, that's what Paul says not to do. No. We love one another. We maintain the, the, the teachings of the gospel. We maintain the teachings of our behavior. We don't budge on these things. And Paul commends them for that. He says, for your obedience, verse 19, is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But notice he says here, he says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You've got to learn to be discerning. You've got to be discerning here. Look what he says. Uh, remember what he said in verse 18? By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Do you all see that there? Uh, yeah, he just, he just said there are some church folk who are naive. They're naive into thinking that with you know, good feelings and so on, we can preserve gospel culture. No, no. It takes more than just feel good, right? In order to preserve gospel culture, you're going to have to be discerning. You're going to have to listen and go, wait a second, that, there's something about that that's off. There's something about that that goes away from what Scripture has taught us. And you've got to be discerning about that. So he says here that we need to keep out those who gut gospel culture. This is too precious for us. And notice he gives a little promise there in verse 20 and 21. Uh, in uh, verse 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Two things that God will do. And God will crush Satan under our feet. And then secondly, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. Notice, if we do these things, God will deliver us and preserve us from those who gut gospel culture. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Those of you who know your scriptures, especially if you're familiar with the beginning of the Bible, you know that that is the promise of Genesis 3.15. Uh, there was an enemy who was deceptive, right? The, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And he goes over to the woman, he goes over to Eve, and he says, did God say I'd eat from any tree of the garden? 
And remember her response. Well, no, no, he said that we shouldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We shouldn't even touch it lest we die. And then he goes right out. The trap has been, uh, has been set. You will not surely die. In the day you eat of it, God will uh, open, your, your eyes will be open. Uh, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's the thing. Nothing he said was false. Your eyes will be open. God himself said that at the end of the chapter. And, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God said that at the end of the chapter. Behold, they have become like us, knowing good and evil. None of that was false. What was false and what was deceptive was he made that sound like it was a good thing. When in reality, it was at the very core of our depravity. And that's exactly what's going on. And with God in his cursing of the enemy, he said, he said, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, Genesis 3.15. And he says, he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And now what Paul is doing is Paul's taking that and he's applying it to the church. We who are in the seed of the woman, because we know from the scriptures that the seed of the woman is Jesus. We who are in Christ, the one who will crush the head of the serpent, we who are in him, God will crush the head of the serpent under, as it says there in the verse, under your in other words, when Jesus has that moment once and for all, when he will stomp on the head of the serpent, all of us who are in Christ will join in in the stomping grounds and in the stomping match. It's almost as if all of us collectively will have one big thunder strike or something on the head of the serpent and crush his head, pulverizing it to pieces, and there will be no enemy ever again. That day is coming. That day is coming. But note, not only the day where the enemy will be destroyed, but if he is going to be destroyed on that day, then that also means all division, all division, all distractions, all of those things will go down with him. The day is coming. So be vigilant. Stand your ground, church. We're cultivating a gospel culture here. And we will give no room, not even an inch, to the devil. We've got to keep out those who gut gospel culture. Secondly, as Paul moves from here, he goes into a section of greetings. And, and he, he's teaching us here, not only that we've got to keep out those who gut gospel culture, but that we've got to keep receiving the greetings of gospel culture. We got to keep receiving the greetings of gospel culture. Why do I say that? Well, look at the verses, verses 21 to 23. And notice he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. And you go, I, I hear an echo, right? Isn't this what we talked about last week? Paul had 16 verses of greetings. Y'all remember that in last week's passage? We had 16 verses of greetings. Was this just Paul forgot? And Paul was like, oh, oh, wait, 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 I got some more. <laughs> and he just kind of writes, writes a few more down. What's going on? Well, there's actually a subtle difference between what we see in the first 16 verses and what we see in these verses. If you looked at the first 16 verses... When you see the word greet in all of those verses there, the word greet in those verses 
uh, is a command. Greet this person. Greet that person. Greet this person. Greet that person. Greet this guy. Greet that lady. Greet this uh, uh, Jewish brother. Greet this Gentile sister. You know, it's greeting, 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 and they're all commands. Here, he's not giving commands for the Romans to, uh, uh, for whom they are to greet, but rather he's talking here about those who greet them. In other words, in this passage, greeting is not the action that we give. Greeting is what we receive. So now the question is, well, why does Paul put it here and not just tack it on to the, to the, the greetings that he had before? And I think the reason is actually found in verse 19. Verse 19 again. Paul says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. I think what Paul is doing here in this passage in verses 21 to 23 is he's not just saying, hey, I rejoice over you. But he's saying there are a whole whole lot more believers here who are rejoicing over you as well. Here's the thing. If we're going to keep gospel culture, we've got to pay attention to who we listen to. Do you hear that? There are some, verses 17 to 20, who are going to say whatever they can with smooth talk and flattery to deceive you. They're going to they're schmooze you. They're going to say whatever they can to, to, to keep you off of the path of the gospel. And Paul says, stop listening to them. Stop listening to those who are going to keep you away from gospel culture, but rather listen to the greetings of those who are encouraging you toward gospel culture. That's what he's saying here. Look what he says. He talks about Timothy, his fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisyphus, my kinsmen, fellow Jewish believers and so on, as Paul is, a, is, is Jewish. So he says, hey, I've got some of my Jewish fellows as well, Lucius, Jason, Sisyphus, even Tertius, who is kind of his, 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 his writer here, as you know, Paul in Galatians talks a little bit about his eyesight. He may have had a bad eyesight and so on. And so here he has a guy that's writing it down for him. He's got a scribe named Tertius. And he says, and Tertius says, hey, by the way, uh, hey, me, I, I, hey, I'm Tertius. I'm the one that wrote all of this in his beautiful handwriting. This wasn't Paul's handwriting. This is my handwriting and all that, because his handwriting is, but he says, hey, I I wrote all of this, and and I just wanted to greet you too. Hey, y'all are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. And then he says, uh, Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, he he probably had a, um, uh, uh, he he was known for his hospitality. He was was known, you know, for, uh, it may have been that his house was the one where all the folks gathered where Paul was. And he says, hey, he wanted to say hi to you too. And Erastus, the city treasurer. Hey, the gospel has even made it to City Hall. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) To see the gospel spread all the way to City Hall. The treasurer, he says hi to you. And he says hi to you as well. By the way, it's interesting. There are some uh, scholars who wonder if Tertius and Quartus were were related because Tertius just basically means the third, the third one, and Quartus means the fourth one. And so we don't know if they were related or not. It'd be an interesting thing. But um, uh, it actually makes me wish that I named my kids after numbers. Um, but, <laughs> but, but he says here, all of these folks, they greet you, they greet you, they greet you, they greet you. You have a whole host of believers, not just inside this church, but a host of believers outside the church who are spurring you on. Keep going, 
keep going. I got to meet with a group of, of pastors, uh, pastors and church leaders a couple days ago, and it was so fun hearing these folks talk about what God is doing in the Triangle area and even uh, uh, beyond uh, across the entire state of North Carolina. And, and there were a couple of them that, that talked about TCC, talked about treasuring Christ, and they said, we just thank God for y'all's church. We thank God for what the gospel is doing in this area, in Southeast Raleigh, and so on. And they were just saying, just keep it, keep it up, guys. Y'all just keep it up. That was such a blessing to me. And, and, and what that did was that helped affirm for me, we're on the right track. We're on the right track. Keep going with gospel culture. Keep loving one another. Keep, keep proclaiming the truth of the scriptures and keep uh, uh, displaying the truth of scripture in our love for one another and our love for this community. You're on the right track. They greet you. Keep going. Don't listen to those who distract and who deceive and who distort. Listen to the ones who are saying, keep going with gospel culture. See? Well, how do you end this letter? You end this letter the only way that, that, you, that you can. I mean, after 16 chapters of working through uh, the deep things of God, what better response than to respond with worship? And that's exactly what Paul says, what Paul does here. But what's so amazing is I don't think he's just doing this in order to end this letter. I also think that this is essential for keeping and maintaining gospel culture among us. If we're going to keep gospel culture going, we got to keep out those who gut gospel culture. We got to keep receiving of gospel culture. And then finally, we got to keep exalting the God of gospel culture. Keep exalting the God of gospel culture. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how Paul structures this. Every, this is called a doxology. And every doxology is structured the same way, okay? You've got, you've got this here. You read through the scriptures, and especially through the New Testament, and you'll see the, the writers, the apostles, and, 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 um, and the writers here in the New Testament, they all uh, have this structure of doxology. First, they describe, they describe something of God, and then on the basis of that description, they ascribe something to God. Do y'all get that? They describe something about God that leads them to ascribe something to God. Because you are like this, this is what you should receive. Do do y'all get what's going on? And so listen what he says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. That's the ascription. This God is the one who is able to strengthen you, or maybe more literally, he is the one who is able to fortify you. That's why I said this is essential to gospel culture and keeping it around, because it's easy for you to drift. It's easy for you to, 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 to drift off into unbelief. It's easy for us to drift off into false teaching. It's easy for us to drift off into other ways of living and so on. We need a God who is able to fortify us, a God who is able to, to put beams down deep into the soil, into good rock-solid foundation so that whatever comes our way, we stand firm. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, the only one who's able to do so. How does he do so? Well, notice in there, there are three according to's here. 
He says, according to my, my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So according to the preached gospel, that's how he fortifies us. He fortifies us regularly, week in, week out, day in, day out, in your own personal time with the gospel. You've got to feed yourself the gospel. Hear again what Paul says about our sinfulness. Hear again what Paul says about the glories of what Christ has done on our behalf as our righteousness and as our redeemer, what the Spirit does in cultivating and conforming us into the image of the Son. Listen to this gospel over and over and over and over again, because if you don't, you will be less fortified. You weaken yourself when you drift away from the gospel. You fortify yourself through the preaching of the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. But not only according to the gospel, a preached gospel, but notice he gives kind of a, a really, he's saying the same thing, but in a different way. He says, according to the revelation of the mystery, the secret that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. This is this, is this secret that God has kind of held close to the chest. All these thousands of years, he's, he's just gone, there's something going on here. You're not quite making sense of life. You're not quite making sense of how all these pieces come together and everything. Well, it's because I haven't told you how they all come together. But now it's been disclosed. It's been revealed for everyone to see. How do all of these pieces come together? They all come together around Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is that missing piece of the puzzle. Y'all have had this before. Y'all get a, a used puzzle box, you know, and uh, you dump the puzzles and it's got, you know, a, a thousand pieces and you've gone 997, 998, 999. Where, where's the thousandth piece? I, I cannot sleep until I get the thousandth piece, right? It, the, the picture is not complete until I have the thousandth piece. Well, Jesus is the thousandth piece. Jesus is the one that now that that piece is there, everything else in the, in the puzzle makes sense. The picture is complete. The picture is, 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 is now understandable and so on. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. He is that missing piece. He's the secret that God's been holding on that now he's blurting out for everybody to hear. It's him. It's him. That's why we gather. That's why we have Advent. That's why we celebrate week in and week out because it's him the one who helps us make sense of this world. He is the one without whom there is no hope for any of us. He is the one who can take away our sin. He's the one who can transform our lives. He is that missing piece. Notice, God is able to strengthen you according to this revelation of the mystery. But notice also, it's according to the command of the eternal God. The command of the eternal God. What does that mean? Well, it's as we said before, the gospel is not just a declaration, which we see in the preaching. The gospel is not just a revelation, which is what we see here in the secret and so on. But the gospel is also a command. It's a command. Follow Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Trust him with your life. Don't trust in yourself. 
Don't trust in other gods. Don't trust in, in, in your capabilities and, and your work ethic and, and, and your money and your, your past, your pedigree, or any of these things. Don't trust in your, able, in your ability to pursue pleasure. Don't trust in your ability to, to, to work your way up the ladder into some type of, 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 of bougie living and stuff like that. Don't trust in all of those things. All of those things will fall to the ground at the end of days. One will be left standing. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him. It's a command for you to follow. Notice as it says there that it's a command to bring about the obedience of faith. This obedience that, you've, that we've been talking about all throughout this uh, the study of Romans. It's not just that you obey the command on day one and saying, I believe as some of you may have walked an aisle or some of you may have prayed a prayer or some of you may have, uh, have, have, uh, have had some type of, 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 of super uh, moment or, or something like that. It's, it's not just what happens on day one. It's, it's the life of faith that he's talking about here, that you continue to walk in the obedience of faith. You trusted him yesterday. I trust him today. I will trust him tomorrow. I will trust him all the way to the day when I breathe my last. And I will trust him into, into eternity. Jesus is everything. I have nothing else on anything else. It's on Christ and on Christ alone. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the preached gospel, according to this revealed secret, according to this eternal, uh, the eternal God's command, now to him who's able to strengthen you. After that ascription, uh, description, here's the ascription. To the only wise God, verse 27, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What's that mean? Well, if you've been tracking through the letter to the Romans, you realize that glory has been a thread all throughout here, right? Chapter one, you had the, uh, the uh, when Paul was talking about us as unbelievers and so on and talking about how we were and suppressing the truth and all that, he said we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the glory of mortal creatures and four-footed animals and beasts and all of that. We, we saw the glory of God and we said, I don't want that. I would rather find my joy and my satisfaction in lesser things, creatures, instead of the creator. And that is at the heart of our depravity. That's at the heart of our rebellion against God. Romans 3, uh, 23, for all have sinned and fall short or lack the glory of God. That's what he says. But then in chapter 5, as a result of what God has done in transforming us and clothing us with the righteousness of Christ, he says in there, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And you go all the way to chapter 8 and you see that God has not only uh, uh, predestined us, but he's also uh, uh, foreknown us, but he's also predestined us. And those who be predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And you go on and on and on and on and on, chapter 11 and, and, and in chapter 9 and, and so on. What has been at the heart of all of this, all that he's been saying in Romans, is that when we live in the obedience of faith, God gets all the glory. And that's what he wants from us. TCC, you have the opportunity the great privilege 
of radiating the glory of God here in Southeast Raleigh and beyond. God wants to use you as a mirror to reflect his glory for everybody around to see. How do we do that? We can only do that by responding to the gospel in the obedience of faith every single day. We do so together in gospel culture. We live together. We link arms with one another. And in the way we love one another, in the way we serve one another, in the way we preach the gospel to ourselves and to each other, and the way we spread the gospel beyond this, this building and this group all throughout our community and even all the way across the globe to the nations. And the way we sacrifice ourselves for one another. And the way we lay down our rights and lay down our privileges and all of that for one another. And the way we obey God in the public square. And the way we serve him and serve other people and love our enemies and forgive other people who have wronged us. And all of these things that we do are is saying to our neighbors and to the nations, this is what Jesus is capable of. This is what he's capable of. When we live in multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational harmony, we're saying to our neighbors and to the nations, this is what God is able to do. No one is able to do this, but God is able to do this. And when we trust in him and in the strength that he gives us through the gospel, to keep loving, to keep going, to keep serving, to keep spreading the good news. When we do so, we are saying only God can sustain us. If we're going to keep gospel culture going, we got to keep out those who gut gospel culture. If we're going to keep it going, we got to receive the greetings of gospel culture. And the only way that we can keep gospel culture going is we've got to keep on trusting and lifting high the God of gospel culture. He wants gospel culture in TCC more than you could ever imagine. And if we trust him, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the supply. Give us the grace that we may continue to walk faithfully together in Christ for all of our days. God will make gospel culture keep on going in our midst. And what greater joy could we have than to live together and relish in this gospel culture day after day until we breathe our last. Amen? What a joy it is to have gone through the letter of the Romans. What an even better joy it is not to keep it here in this page and not to keep it here in this series, but to now go trusting in God to supply, living in gospel culture as long as the Lord would give us the time. Amen? So let's do so. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Paul has taught us that you are the one to strengthen us, that you are the one to give us grace. And so we pray to you. And we ask that you would give us this grace. We need you. Father, if I could just be a little candid, it, it, it feels 
Like it takes so much to cultivate gospel culture. And yet it takes so little to burn it to the ground. And I don't think I'm alone in, in that sentiment. I, I'm sure there are some others that are here that, that could testify to that. It takes so much to bring it together. And it takes so little to tear it down. And so we look to you. We don't trust in our ability. We don't trust in our resources. We don't trust in our own strength and ingenuity. We trust in you, the one who is able to fortify us, the one who's able to strengthen us, the one who's able to bring gospel culture together, and the one who is able to keep it going. Lord, please pour out your favor on us that the gospel may continue to be central to who we are as Treasuring Christ Church. That we would lift high the name of Jesus and gather people from every tribe and nation and language together for your name's sake. That we would continue to learn how to love one another, how to bear with one another, how to, how to have mercy, how to be forgiving how to live in a way that magnifies what you have done for us in Jesus. Father, I pray that, the, that our neighbors and even the nations would see what you are doing among us, what your spirit is forming among us, and say, what must we do to be saved? How can we get in on this? Father, I pray that you would open eyes and open hearts, open ears to the hearing of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a work that would absolutely astonish us here in Southeast Raleigh. And Lord, even as you already have been doing, Lord, I pray that you would continue and even increase the work of what you are doing through TCC across the world. Who are we that you would be so kind and so gracious to make your name known through us across the world. To you, the only wise God, be the glory forever through Jesus Christ.